Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. They take care of our air conditioning. And they'll do a great job for you. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We get a legislative update. A lot of exciting things going on when it comes to public education. We'll visit with Matthew Germer. He's an election fellow with the R Street Institute, and we're looking at some changes in our voting process here in Florida. We'll find out if they're all good or bad. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. He'll be joining us, as well as former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. It is April the 8th, and on this day in 563 B.C., Buddhists celebrate the commemoration of the birth of Gautama Buddha, the founder of Buddhism thought to have lived in India from 563 to 483, about 54 years of age, when he died. Actually, the Buddhist tradition then celebrates his birthday on April the 8th, originally placed his birth in the 11th century BC, and it was not until the modern era that scholars determined that he was more likely born in the 6th century BC, and possibly in May rather than April. According to Tripitaka, which is recognized by scholars as the earliest existing record of the Buddha's life and discourses, Gautama Buddha was born as Prince Siddhartha, the son of the king of the Saika people. The kingdom of the Saikas was situated on the border of present-day Nepal and India. Siddhartha's family was one of Gautama's clan. His mother, Queen Mayahama, uh, gave birth to him in the park of Lubini, which is now southern Nepal a pillar placed there in commemoration of the event by the Indian emperor in the 3rd century, still stands. At his birth, he was predicted that the prince would become either a great world monarch or a supremely enlightened teacher. The Brahmins told his father that the Siddhartha would become a ruler if he were kept isolated from the outside world. The king took pains to shelter his son from misery and anything else that might influence him towards the religious life. Siddhartha was brought up in great luxury, and he married and fathered a son. At age 29, he decided to see more of the world and began excursions off the palace grounds in his chariot. In successive trips, he saw an old man, a sick man, a corpse. And since he had been protected from miseries of aging, sickness, and death, his charioteer had to explain what they were. Finally, Siddhartha saw a monk and, impressed with the man's peaceful demeanor, he decided to go to the world to discover how the man could be so serene in the midst of such suffering. He secretly left the palace and became a wandering ascetic. He traveled south where the centers of learning were and studied meditation of the teachers uh, Kalama and uh, Reputra, excuse me, Ramaputra. He soon mastered their systems, reaching high states of mystical realization, but was unsatisfied and went out again in search of nirvana the highest level of enlightenment. years, he undertook fasting and other austerities, but these techniques proved ineffectual, and he abandoned them after regaining his strength. He seated himself under a papal tree, which is now the uh, Gaia in west-central India, and promised not to rise until he had attained the supreme enlightenment. After fighting off Mara, the evil spirit which tempted him with worldly comforts and desires, Siddhartha reached enlightenment, becoming a Buddha at the age of 35. The Gautama Buddha then traveled to Deer Park near Baranaris, India, where he gave his first sermon and outlined the basic doctrine. And according to Buddhism, there are four noble truths. This is good stuff. Existence is suffering. That's the first truth. The second is, this suffering is caused by human craving. The third truth, there is a cessation of the suffering, which is nirvana. And number four, nirvana can be achieved in this or future lives through the eightfold path of right views, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. As I list these eight uh, methods or uh, paths, 
the path eightfold path. I notice that all of these are very positive. Thou, there are no thou shalt nots, but the, the all past positive things that you can reach do to reach nirvana. For the rest of his life, the Buddha taught and gathered disciples to his sangha or community of monks. He died at age 80. Well, my first calculation was incorrect. Telling his monks to continue working their spiritual liberation by following his teachings, Buddhism eventually spread from India to Central and Southeast Asia, China, Korea, Japan, and in the 20th century into the West. Interesting, such an interesting uh, and uh, enlightening religion. Buddhism. Siddhartha. Quote of the day, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday said the border was a total disaster under President Trump. But Joe Biden has saved the day with his open borders policy. I'm not kidding. She really said that. She goes on, the fact is we can go on path, a good path at the border under the leadership of Joe Biden. She said, it's about restructuring how we do what is happening there because we were in a very bad situation under the Trump's administration. Unbelievable. The minor migrants are staffed in cages, stuffed in cages at 729% of capacity. and Many have lice chickenpox and COVID-19. Nevertheless, uh, Nancy Pelosi thinks, under Biden, things are going great. While reported COVID-19 cases, hospitalization deaths in Cuyahoga County have declined in March as the number of residents who receive vaccination, vaccinations nearly doubled. However, a University of Florida epidemiologist <laughs> said a rise in cases in the final two weeks of the month could be the initial sign of a surge fueled by spring break vacations and the continued rise of infections by coronavirus variant strains. See, this is uh, more fear porn, quite frankly. Uh, he has no idea what's going to happen, but nevertheless, trying to keep us all masked up and fearful. Overall, however, cases showed a marked decline in March as compared to February's numbers. We're seeing some things that are concerning, said Cindy Prince, Dr. Cindy Prince, a University of Florida epidemiologist, cases are going up and the percent positivity rate is going up, but testing isn't increasing that much. Those cases haven't yet turned into a rise in hospitalizations. In fact, Cuyahoga County's seven-day hospitalization rate continually, continually dropped during March, according to data. The rate, which uh, in the average of a day or previous six days, uh, has declined 47%. Despite the positive signs, though, in COVID-19 measurements, Prince says the growing number of cases by variant strains of virus in Florida is a cause for concern. I'm still supporting the mask burning on the East Coast on the 17th. I think it's a great idea. On March the 2nd, former U.S. Senator Al Franken, remember him? He used Saturday Night Live guy. He was pretty funny. He actually mocked Texas for giving all of its remaining COVID-19 restrictions, getting rid of them. Gee, here we are in Texas, haven't screwed up royally in the whole two weeks, Frank, Franken tweeted. I know, let's lift the mask mandate. Despite what Franken and many other critics predicted, Texas didn't see an explosion in COVID cases. Instead, the Lone Star State saw cases reach a record low. Hope that continues. Of course, you take a look at Michigan, they're having record high cases. This is uh, wokeness, another chapter in wokeness. United Airlines took their wokeness to a new level this week after condemning Georgia's new voter integrity laws. They happily announced it will train thousands of new pilots based on race. Other flight decks should uh, reflect the diverse group of people on board our planes every day. That's why we plan for 50% of our 5,000 pilots we train in the next decade will be women or people of color, United announced. United says diversity is at the forefront of our pilot program. Today, United has one of the most diverse pilot pro populations of any U.S. carrier, with nearly 20% of our pop pilot group made up of women and people of color. We are working towards raising that number even higher by partnering with diversity-led organizations and continuing to remove gender and racial barriers. And we're going one step further with pilot plans for 50% of our United Aviate Academy students being women and people of color. Uh, no mention about safety or the best qualified. It's concerning to me. Isn't it concerning to you? You want your pilot to be the best trained and the best possible person to fly the airplane if you're a passenger on United flight. 
Makes you think about which carrier to use, doesn't it? I have nothing against you, yeah, but there are a lot of qualified. But to assume that the most important thing is what color somebody is or what uh, sex makes no sense when it comes to the importance of safety in uh, air flight. Well, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin said on Wednesday he is opposed to using a procedural process known as reconciliation to pass legislation without Republican support dealing a potential blow to President Joe Biden's chances of passing a $2.3 trillion infrastructure bill. He says, I simply do not believe budget reconciliation should replace regular order in the Senate. Uh, Senate Democrats must avoid the temptation to abandon our Republican colleagues on important national issues. So uh, this is a big blow to Biden's plan. You may recall that uh, Biden actually appointed <laughs> Manchin's wife and a minor, minorly important, but very high-paying job. I think they're trying to buy him off, but he looks like he's going to stand on principle. Normally, it would take 60 votes in the 100-person chamber to overcome a filibuster. Manchin from West Virginia is a moderate on some issues, willing to cross party lines, so his support is crucial to any bill passing the 50-50 Senate. Boy, I hope he can hold out. He's going to under a lot of pressure. And by the way, uh, Senator Kirsten... Uh, Killebrand, no, uh, I've forgotten her name now. Anyhow, from Arizona, is holding out uh, as well with regard to the uh, uh, HR1 and uh, the infrastructure program. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Kristen Cinema is the woman I was trying to think of. Life in Naples magazine also is a sponsor of this segment. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting 
GulfshorePlayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Matthew Germer. He's the election fellow at the R Street Institute. We talked about the proposed changes in voting laws in Florida. Right now, we have with us Keith Flaw. Keith is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Keith, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Keith. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Uh, sure. We're a um, 501c3 not-for-profit uh, organization that's been in play- place now for, well, I guess we started in 2013. Wow. Uh, we focus on um, stopping the indoctrination in our public schools. We're big champions and advocates for parental choice. Um, that, that includes encouraging parents who are at all interested to homeschool their kids or take advantage of one of the uh, scholarship programs we have in Florida to put their children into a, you know, a private school of their choice. Great organization. GoFLCA.com is the website. I encourage you to visit it. Now, keep you've got a big event coming up on April the 17th. Really impressive. Chock full of great information. Maybe you can tell us about it. Sure. Uh, it's called um, Celebrating Kids and Country Part 2. Um, the reason it's Part 2 is it's a follow-on to the big event we did back in February at the Naples Grand. Uh, this, ev- this event in, on April 17th is really targeted at parents and kids and activists. So it's an awareness event rather than a fundraising event. So um, what we're really trying to do is help parents... Uh, understand what is going on in the schools, and then offer them some serious uh, and very good solutions for the kids. Uh, we've got some dynamite speakers. Um, we've titled it Celebrating Kids and Country, and uh, for your listeners who are, or may not be familiar with um, Rebecca Friedrichs, uh, she's from California, a teacher for 28 years. Uh, she has an organization actually called uh, uh, Kids and Country, and she's been fighting fighting the unions uh, at every turn of the road. She actually uh, was the uh, plaintiff in a case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, that ended up, and, and it wasn't her case because uh, um, the case went to the Supreme Court the, the same month that Scalia died, so it ended up in a 4-4 tie. Oh. But subsequently, subsequently, um, you know, your listeners who have any understanding of the unions will understand that they don't have to, uh, based on a, a subsequent case, uh, they don't have to pay dues to the union. So that's a big deal. And she's an amazing speaker. She's really, um, and she's just got a, a, a really strong uh, background in the in the whole area. Absolutely. The other, the other keynote speaker is uh, Alex Newman. Uh, Alex is well known across the country. In fact, does uh, writes internationally for um, American News and Epic Times. Uh, he's uh, very articulate on the indoctrination that's going on in schools, and uh, we're excited to have him as uh, the other keynote. Yeah, and some other guests as well, Dr. Duke Best, of course, Erica Donalds, a local uh, president and CEO of the Optima Foundation, and you're going to have a mother uh, of Hope Scholarship mother that's going to be speaking as well, Carrie McDonald, Senior Education Fellow at the Foundation for Economic Education. It's a great lineup. I'm excited about the program. I look forward to be there. And uh, it, the cost is, is low. I mean, do you, it, what is the, what is how does that work? Okay, um, the the cost of, if you want to come or live stream is if you want a one time charge, it's forty nine bucks. If you are willing to sign up for a monthly fee of just nine ninety nine, uh, you can attend the event. And if you don't think what we're providing is a value, you can stop after a month. So All right. literally you can attend the event for $9.99 or the one-time charge of $49. And I've got four tickets that I can give away at no cost whatsoever. It includes, by the way, a free breakfast provided by Chick-fil-A. So uh, if you ha- would like to have a ticket or two or three or four, uh, first come, first serve, just uh, send me an email at bobhardnethotmail.com. Bob Harden at hotmail.com or call me at uh, 5983889. So, Keith, looking forward to the program. It's going to be terrific and uh, just really appreciate you putting this together. Uh, before I let you go, can I get a legislative update uh, for our listeners? Yeah, some good things happened this week. Um, the uh, uh, We talked about it last week. The House passed the uh, Parents' Rights Bill. Um, it was pretty much along. Um, 
party line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Senate uh, Rules Committee, which where which is where it got stuck last year, mm-hmm. uh, passed it uh, just uh, two days ago. So it's now been messaged from the House to the Senate, and the Senate will hear the bill on the Senate floor. Um, we're, we're you know it's never done till it's done. There's always possibility for a twist in the in the wind, but uh, we're pretty confident that uh, we're going to make it process this year with the parents rights bill which is really terrific that is outstanding um, the other the other thing that happened this week and it's still moving but it's moving on both sides uh, both chambers is the uh, it's called the boys and girls sports bill it's focused on um, you know boys should compete in boys sports and girls and and, and not vice versa yeah <laughs> and uh, it, it just passed the its final committee in the house so it'll go to the House floor, and it's still got the rules committee to go to the Senate. But it, again, it's uh, it's moving on both sides, and uh, it's a controversial bill. Uh, the um, session uh, two days ago in the in the Education Committee, uh, they spent over an hour debating it. And it was amazing to me to watch some of the young ladies who were put up by the the opposition who don't like this. Wow. Uh, stand up and support uh, competition for males in their in their own sport. It's just kind of mind-boggling. It but. is mind-boggling, and that is just incredible. Just incredible. Uh, hey, yeah. hey, I know you're also uh, working to uh, working on a gun uh, proposal of, uh, for Florida. Yeah, uh, we're actually working here uh, with the Board of County Commission. Oh, uh, Commission, we're, yeah. We're intending to put forth a uh, an ordinance that's our intent that would uh, declare Collier County a sanctuary uh, county to protect the second amendment. Uh, big deal. I think that it could be very important, and uh, certainly uh, they have the power to do that. They say, can simply say that uh, you know we're not going to enforce federal laws when they violate second amendment rights. I think that's a terrific idea. Uh, I cut you off. Any any other update in Florida with regard to education? Yep. Uh, there's some other things we're working on, but uh, uh, maybe we can talk about them next week. Uh, we're really focused on an opt-in, uh, trying to get an opt-in in education, which puts parents in charge instead of an opt-out, which puts the government in charge. Absolutely. And, uh, we're knee-deep in, the, in, in on both chambers trying to get that done. Okay. Yeah. Celebrating Kids and Country, that's on uh, April the 17th, 9 a.m. to 12 at the Naples Community Church. I've got four free tickets. If you'd like one or two or three or four, first come, first serve, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com or give me a call at 598-3889. Keith, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Take care. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Matthew Germer, election fellow at the R Street Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. 
with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit GulfShorePlayhouse.org. That's GulfShorePlayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now we have with us Matthew Germer. He's an election fellow at the R Street Institute. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Matt. Tell us about the R Street Institute. Sure. So the R Street Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan research organization in we're really devoted to researching and promoting issues around free markets and limited effective government. Uh, and my role in that capacity is to look at elections issues around the country uh, from that lens and to see what we can do to improve uh, choices for voters, as well as uh, ensuring that our elections remain secure uh, and everyone who is eligible to vote has the opportunity to vote. And everybody who isn't doesn't have that opportunity. <laughs> so, Matt, I mean, you are doing such important work, and it's so critical. Now, I, I think here in Florida we have a pretty darn good election law. I think, you know, we've been kind of an example here for the last few election cycles. Uh, but you, you wrote a column called Florida Republicans Should Stand Up for Voter Freedom, uh, taking issue with some of the changes. Maybe you can tell us about it. Sure. So I think you pointed out something fantastic, which is that Florida really has become a national leader in elections. Mm -hmm. I know that for many Americans, Florida has been a punchline for the last couple of decades, but that punchline is no longer deserved. Uh, at this point, Florida offers their voters pretty substantial choice in how they want to vote. It, these are rough guidelines, but roughly a third of Florida voters uh, in a normal election, the non-2020 you know, uh, COVID-19 election, but in a normal election, you'll see a chunk of voters that choose to vote in person on Election Day, a sizable chunk who choose to vote in person uh, early, and then a chunk of voters who choose to vote by mail. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've, been, we've been digging in over at our street around that last piece, which is voting by mail, uh, and taking a look at laws around the country or proposals around the country uh, that, that might make voting by mail more difficult. And unfortunately, from our perspective, we saw that show up in uh, Florida mm. with a couple of bills that have been put forward. Uh, one of them in particular, Senate Bill 90, uh, that would make it a little more difficult to vote by mail by, uh, in a couple of ways. Uh, and so that's what was the uh, genesis of that article that, that I put together. You know what, you, got, you really caught my attention because uh, my wife and I uh, vote by mail, enjoy voting by mail. So what are the changes that you think could uh, make it more difficult for us to, to do that? Sure. So the Senate Bill 90 uh, does a couple of things. First, uh, right now in Florida, if you want to vote by mail, uh, you have to submit a new application to vote by mail every couple of years. Um, it's a little annoying. I think, I think my preference would be, you know, once you sign up to vote by mail, you can remain signed up to vote by mail uh, indefinitely. Uh, but this bill would require voters to reapply to vote by mail every single year. Mm. Uh, and so it doesn't, wouldn't necessarily change your right. You'll have the opportunity to do it. But an application to vote by mail every year is honestly, just annoying. Um, and similar on that front would be removing drop boxes for voters. And, and these drop boxes are, have been uh, a subject of attention around the country. There have been circumstances in other states of drop boxes um, being placed uh, in counties by bipartisan actors that aren't necessarily official. We've seen nothing like that in Florida. And if anything, drop boxes really just provide voters another opportunity, another choice about how they want to turn in their ballot, whether they trust uh, the U.S. Postal Service to handle their ballot for them and bring it uh, to the county officials, or if they'd like to bring it to the county officials themselves through the use of a drop box. And so those have been two of the biggest provisions in that bill, make, making voters re-register to vote by mail every year 
and removing the ability for a, for a voter to drop off their ballot in a drop box. Okay, so thank you for that uh, clarification, uh, Matt. And uh, just to get some clarification, uh, you know, I think it's important. We don't need, we didn't trust the U.S. mail, <laughs> so we, we went to a drop box right next to the uh, the to the office of the uh, supervisor of elections. So uh, to me, that's a bad move. Uh, did you mention that uh, we have to register every year by mail in order to uh, renew our opportunity to vote by by uh, mail? That would be the result of the bill if mm. it were to go forward. Is uh, annual reapplications for for absentee voting by mail. So, what about the the concern about uh, voter registration? You know, the the roles of voters, and uh, if you know, does does for example, our current law allow, for example, for us to for somebody to die and still be on the rolls and uh, have that vote, uh, you know, in some way uh, affected. So I believe that the way current law is constructed, um, voter rolls should be checked and updated over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there may be an opportunity to do that process faster, uh, to make sure that if someone uh, passes away in the month just preceding an election, that the voter rolls could be cleaned up perhaps more frequently. Uh, but by me, you know, to answer your question generally, uh, yes, the, the voter rolls are cleaned up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps it, you know, it would be a question of how quickly that should be done. But this change to uh, the, the voter rolls and making sure that they are accurate is separate from the question of whether or not folks have signed up to vote by mail. Yeah, I agree with that. My recall is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that actually we currently register, we can register online. Is that incorrect? I believe that you can. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about for voting for mail, but uh, you're going to saying mm-hmm. that this the legislation that's proposed would require us to not be able to do it online, but rather... Uh, have to do it uh, by by U.S. mail. Oh, I, I apologize if I created that confusion. I don't believe that it would change the um, uh, the mechanism for for re-registering. Just that it would require you to do it every year. Understand? Okay. Well, thank you for that. So, uh, in a perfect world, then uh, taking a look at Florida, uh, what what would you do? What would you, what would you like to see us do? Well, I'd like to, to really start by complimenting Florida for being a national leader. Uh, Florida has become a model in how uh, elections should be run. And, and in, in large part, rather than tweaking Florida, I would rather see other states adopt the Florida model. Mm. Uh, I think that, like, as you mentioned, there may always be an opportunity to make changes around the margins to ensure that voter rolls are accurate, uh, to make sure that uh, if there are opportunities where um, election administration can be cleaned up little things um uh, i think those are good opportunities but big sweeping changes that would uh, impact voters and their ability to choose how they want to vote at this point i don't see those being necessary in florida all right great commentary matt i really appreciate that uh uh, r street institute what's the website r street institute can be found at rstreet.org that's the letter r and the word street.org rstreet.org is the website. Matt, a very informative commentary. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. All right. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure indeed. All right. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees. I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I hope you check out Choice Socialists, a new and refreshing social networking platform. Visit the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now we have with us Seton Motley. He is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and we're headed in the wrong direction. Seems that way, but uh, (laughs) you wrote a column, and I know this is so disappointing to you. The Supreme Court screws up yet again and screws us for generations, and this is so, so interesting because we've been talking about this case for over a year. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, there was a rule. On October seventh, they had they heard the case. It was six months and months and months to issue rulings afterwards. And it was Oracle v. Google. We talked about this before. Google took eleven thousand three hundred and thirty lines of uh, a code, computer code from a from a program called Java, which is owned by Oracle, mm-hmm. and it's an open source code. But you have to get licenses to use it. There was, a, there was even an email from a Google engineer who was asked, can we find another way to make this work without the Java code? As they're negotiating for licenses for Java's code. And the email, the engineer wrote back in an email, we've looked and looked and looked, and we can't find anything. We have to get licenses from Java. Hmm. So they didn't. They, they, took the, they used the 11,000-plus lines of code to build Android, which is the number one uh, operating system on the planet. They've made probably a trillion dollars off of it using Android's code. Never Mm -hmm. got a license for it. And so Oracle said, no, wait a minute, this is illegal. And so that started a 10-year odyssey in the courts that ended the day before yesterday with the Supreme Court's ruling. And what they said was, Google made a bunch of stupid arguments. One of their arguments was, if you don't let us steal, people will stop making stuff for us to steal. <laughs> Which, of course, is absurd. If, you, you know, if you're a farmer and you plant a bunch of crops and you water them and till them and fertilize them and all that, and then anybody on the planet can walk onto your property and steal it, why would you do that again? Yeah. <laughs> You'll never plant crops again. Right. And it's the same with software. Why would you develop software if anybody can walk on and you know, just take it from you? The other argument that they used, that, that it was a 6-2 to two ruling. The, 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 uh, the two that said no were Alito and Thomas, God bless them. Right. And um, the, 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 Stephen Breyer wrote the opinion for the six, and one of the things he leaned on was Google's claim of fair use. Well, fair use is an absurd. Fair use in copyright law is about the written word. It's, it's, what, it's what I do all the time when I write. It's, mm. You take a paragraph or a couple sentences from somebody's article and, and use it to comment upon the article or comment upon the thing the article is writing about. Right. Or, um, advance, you know, it's, 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 it's the use of the written word to advance another story, right? right. Like, right. you know, you're advancing the news story. You're advancing your opinion piece based upon the news reported in the story. Computer code can't be used for fair use. That's what they wanted the court to do, and unfortunately the court did it. Imagine someone writing in a piece, like me writing in a piece, as Oracle's Java wisely noted, 01101011111, it makes absolutely no sense. 
But that's in large part what Stephen Breyer and the six justices relied upon to justify this theft by Google. And this is a huge problem going forward, of course, because now everything's computer code. And now everybody can claim fair use and steal the code. And say, hey, it's just fair use. I'm allowed to do this for the Supreme Court. That's unbelievable. I mean, what about the argument that they're applying for uh, of the uh, agreement in order to be able to use? Uh, what about the, the whole notion that they had a process they were supposed to follow? Google decided we're not going to follow it. We're just going to take it. What, did they make any comment? Yeah, I mean, that's part of, I mean, that was part of my argument all, all along was, you know, you look pretty guilty uh, for stealing it when you, when you actually st- if you if you ever initiated the process of applying for a license to use it, you've admitted you need a license to use it. Right. And they applied. They and like I said, there was that email from the engineer who was asked by Google, "Hey, find another way around this so we don't have to get a license from Java." Right. And he said, "I've looked and looked and looked, and all the other options are terrible. The only the, the best way to do this is to get a license from Java and use their code." Yeah. And that's an e- in an email from a Google engineer to Google higher-ups. So they, they, not only had they started the application process, they tried to find an end-around, couldn't, that worked as well as the code, so they just took the code. You know, it's, what's so disappointing about this, this is uh, not only, well, I'd like to ask you, I do, you know, in a second about if you could explain what the implications are for this for the future. But what's disappointing is that the, the judgment was six to two. I mean, it's it's incredible that it's both, it's both unsettling. The, both the Trump appointees, both the Trump appointees ruled with the majority. Amy Coney Barrett wasn't on the court on October seventh when the case was heard, but she just didn't vote. It was six to two. She was the ninth justice, and she didn't vote because she didn't hear the case. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's Roberts, it's uh, Gorsuch, it's. Uh, uh, Kavanaugh, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really disappointing situation. Yeah, well, you had the unfairness in the and it's unsettling. Now you hear something like this from the Supreme Court, and remember all the bad rulings from the Supreme Court on the election. Yeah, it's just to uh, me they ruled in the Pennsylvania case that because but that only Pennsylvania is is empowered to deal with Pennsylvania stealing the election. Yeah, which, I'm, as I said at the time. Is like saying only the murderer can can prosecute the murder. Yeah. So uh, wh- they, that's what they ruled on the Pennsylvania case. They never looked at the the the, the evidence of, the, of of voter fraud and voter uh, stealing and all that. They never got that far. They just said this is Pennsylvania's responsibility because it's Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well, Pennsylvania just stole the election. Yeah. They're not going to they're not going to prosecute themselves for stealing the election. They just did it. Yeah. So, so yeah, so- it's been a very disappointing. We thought we got good justices from Trump. It appears we did not. Uh, well, so tell us about the implications of this decision and why it's so important. Oh, it's, 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 first of all, they've written a law. They've written a law. If you want fair use to apply to computer code, you have to have Congress write a law that says fair use applies to computer code. Mm-hmm. So now, but, but more importantly, now, well, not even more importantly, but as importantly, what, what the court has said is, it's, a, it's, it's, it's open season on software code. Hmm. You can steal 11,000 lines of code, claim fair use, and not pay for it. So, why, so the question then becomes, okay, why would anyone write 11,000 lines of computer code? Right. They can't make money off it. Yeah. It's fair use to steal it. So the, the implications are, wh- are we going to have anybody writing any code in the United States going forward? And the answer is probably not very many, no. So, I, I mean, I'm sitting here, if uh, if I were wanting to write computer code that could be used, uh, uh, apparently it was an open platform, Java, and uh, that you need to apply for a license if you're going to use it over and over again. Is there a way the companies can operate in a way that they, they can sidestep this vulnerability from the Supreme Court? I don't. I don't see a way. Now, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm I, I'm a patent follower and a patent fan. Yep. And a copy, an intellectual property fan, but I'm not an expert expert on that. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing. I had a, a really good friend of mine who worked for a company for a lot of years, 
and they they bought patents because uh, pat, their business model was to buy patents from inventors and license them out so everybody could use them and build new products. And they went out of business. Yeah, because the Obama era had had destroyed that business model of if you, they created this this lie that if you didn't invent it yourself, you have no right to the patent, which of course is absurd. If you invent the patent and you want to sell it, it's your property. You can. And then that person can license it, which is, is beneficial to everybody because then, of course, everybody's getting the products that are a uh, result of that. And they destroyed that business model. They've now destroyed basically the business model of writing computer code in the United States. Not a happy story. It did, certainly reduces our confidence in the Supreme Court and uh, in the in the. Uh, in, in decisions like this. Seton, yeah. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. I'm going to encourage our listeners to visit your website, lessgovernment.org. Lessgovernment.org is the website. You can also visit Less Government on Facebook. Seton, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government does doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mayor Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. It's always a pleasure on on Thursdays. I look forward to it. I do, too. So lots, lots to talk about, Bob. Um, yesterday's city council meeting, <clears throat> um, the mayor showed how not to run a meeting. Um, it was a 13-hour day, and anybody that wants to see her at her absolute worst can watch the last agenda item of the meeting yesterday, right before correspondence and communication. It goes for about <clears throat> at least an hour. Uh. And uh, at the end, she couldn't even talk. Um, but um, she got called out yesterday for <clears throat> um, hiring her own legal firm, um, presenting the city with a bill for over $5,000. None, which she had permission to do. She never told counsel. She never asked counsel. Gary Price uh, brought the matter up 
and of course uh she had an excuse for everything that was that was listed there's a lot of public records requests out there and you're going to be seeing a lot of it in not only the naples daily news but some of the tv networks too because they all got it yesterday but i i will tell you and i've said it all along to you on your show i'm not being um mean or nasty or cruel or anything but bob i'll tell you what it is not the way that the city should be operated and operating and and um it's upsetting to watch that is a you know so uh the discussion what was the resolution i mean what is did they basically say you're gonna have to pay you uh, you covered this five thousand you didn't uh well that that's probably the key question but there was a lot more than that um there was there's sunshine law violations there's ethics violations there's everything they're gonna they have to unweave this um yeah i mean the new law firm starts today um and 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 candidly i don't have any confidence in them uh uh by some of the things that they when they were when they were doing their presentations you know their interviews to be hired Mm. uh there was another law firm as well and some of the things that they said during their interview just kind of literally uh, anybody that 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 knows about shade sessions or executive sessions um uh they went and and accused jim fox our our former attorney of uh, leaving a paper trail and saying to the council listen anytime you want an executive session or a shade session just whisper in our ear and we'll make sure it happens i mean bob you, you just you know that's against everything that anybody in government was ever taught yeah uh, is is you're talking about we're talking about transparency um and um so i have my my doubts about them i don't want to prejudge but um my gut feeling is usually pretty good so we're just going to have to see um they they pitched a good game and we'll see we'll see where they go with this they've already started down in the clerk's office asking for information that that they weren't privy to because they weren't uh officially hired yet and the city clerk's office had to kind of back them down a little bit wow and say hey you know we can't give you this information you're you're not an employee and then they were shocked to find out that our tech our tech department are employees and not contracted out so it's going to be interesting to watch so this sounds like it could end up in court i don't I don't think it'll end up in court, but I do think that Ms. Heitman has um, a lot of explaining to do. I think it could go before the Ethics uh, Commission. I think when you start shaking things out and you look at some of these emails that came out of the public records request, wow. I mean, there was one there from two council people to each other, uh, which you know you're not allowed to do. Um, there's just, uh, there is just so much um that 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 came out in this public records request and she has a she has one of those really private emails it's called proton or proten email you can look yeah. it up on the on the web it's a very private email and from what i understand public records requests for emails like that they don't have to turn it over because they're based offshore so it'll it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that as well so as yeah. i say um it was a it was a just a disaster yesterday, um, especially at the end of the meeting. Interesting. I have so, a I have a email address on Proton Mail. You, you Pro- do. I do, and uh, it's a, the, the, it's uh, from uh, uh, what country is it in, in Europe? Well, the, the point being is that it so, is extremely somewhere. yes, extremely private, and uh, Switzerland, so, yeah, right. based in Switzerland. So uh, I don't know why that wouldn't be subject to uh, to. Uh, to, uh, uh, you know, public record, but uh, irrespective, what an interesting uh, outcome. But uh, was you know enough of the good news? Any bad news that <laughs> I don't have any bad news. <laughs> I got to tell you that we watched. I mean, <laughs> Chris and I both had headaches after after watching. I mean, we watched the majority of that wow. um, that whole meeting yesterday, and. Um, to hear one of the council members at the end um, um, speak for 38 minutes, um, they're supposed to have 10 minutes each allotted to ask, you know, to ask questions of a developer or whoever is presenting. 
and he went on for 38 minutes and then he got called on for for for, for doing that um because it was not fair to the rest of council and then um they they got all over gary price uh because gary was a little bit upset and rightfully so um and uh i mean you you if you if you have some spare time if you go to that last agenda item from yesterday and you watch it you'll you'll know what i'm talking about or anybody else that's that's listening and wants to really see council at its worst that's um that is that is the one episode or or um item that i would i would um i would highlight yeah. and say you want to see it here it is for our listeners but, benefit um, that, that perhaps don't know how to do that how do you locate or how do you find uh, the meeting so you the- go you go you go to naplesgov.com uh, Naples and, it, and um, it's got a list of the meetings and everything, and it will have yesterday's meeting um, up, and you can just click on it, and then you can go to whatever agenda item you want. The other thing they did, Bob, which is very upsetting, was they postponed or they delayed one of the Athens group from the beach clubs. Uh, very simple. It, was, it wasn't changing the property. It wasn't doing anything that would cause anybody any angst. It was a simple procedural um, uh, item on the agenda that they needed um, to continue the project, and they delayed it. Uh, they continued it for uh, for a reason that just didn't make any sense. And you know, I, I will say this to you before we run out of time: is that here's my fear, Bob. If they keep and and by the way, the the president, um, the CEO of the Athens Group was there yesterday. You know, they're the people that mm-hmm. that bought the Beach Club property, uh, buying it and going to make this phenomenal resort there. Um, they even said the president even said he's never seen anything like it, and they're around the world, as you know, with top rate resorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they've ever been treated like they were treated in front of our council. Uh, left a really bad taste. But the thing is, if if council keeps jerking them around. Um, they could pull the plug and then, you know, what's going to happen. You're going to get a developer in there because the Watkins family candidly will not care anymore. They just, they're just going to want to get out. Um, they've done what they can for the community and some developer is going to come in, going to tear that place down and is going to build, build and build. Okay. That golf course that they're all screaming about. Well, guess what? It's Mm going to be all full of homes, nice homes, by the way. But so that's, what's going to happen unless they wake up. So, um, other than that, nothing much going on, Bob. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate so much the update. And I mean, uh, to me, it's just so. Uh, if if it's just a procedural item to take the next step to allow them to continue the project, right. seems to me that they, that, that uh, we've already made the decision we're going to do the project. We've already made the decision what the project's going to look like. Let's move forward. Let's get it done. You know, I don't understand. Well, what- the, the problem is, Bob, you have thirty people. That live around there and there were rumors that were spread it was going to be an amusement park or they were going to do this and that and they said yesterday the athens group said yesterday we're moving the tennis courts and the pickleball to the center of the property so that they won't hear have any noise or anything else i mean these people have bent over backwards mm-hmm. all right and and it's the same thing it's the you know it's the old naples association that is as far as i'm concerned is running the city Okay, and I believe that Teresa Heitman is their puppet. Period. Yeah, you know, yeah. sad I feel commentary. It and I said it, and and it can be proven. Yeah, I mean that's all there is to it. Well, I appreciate your being so outspoken and uh, for sharing your opinions and thoughts today. Again, uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. My pleasure, Bob, and you have a good good weekend and a good week. You as well. Thank you so much, Bill. Twenty five years of service to the city of Naples, by the, as a uh, as a city council member and as our mayor of Naples. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, I just want to remind you about the free tickets to the uh, Celebrating Kids and Country coming up on April the 17th. If you'd like to uh, receive a ticket or two or three or four, you can give me a call at 598-3889, 598-3889, or send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Always appreciate your comments and thoughts on the show. Again, bobharden at hotmail.com is... Uh, the uh, email address. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Jack Wirt is the Executive Director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast. 
or wherever you are, namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>